0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Man, I'll tell you, it's easy to get angry, isn't it? And it, So what is it... Um... What is it in your world that makes you angry? What are some of the things that make you angry? Just just call some of them out. Traffic. Kids not listening to you. Drivers. Drivers texting. Yeah, what else? Come on. Taxes. Yeah. What was it? animal abuse. All right. What else? You know, it's, isn't it amazing that the politicians are as not as brilliant as I am? I just irritates the daylights out of me, doesn't it? You know what some one of the things that irritates me is people that don't know there's a turn signal on their, in their car. It's just like, well, maybe they're not in their model of car. I don't know. Yeah, but what else, what else makes you mad? What? When did this start? Let's go. Come on, everybody. Get over there to Costco. (laughs) You mean you have to pay for stuff? Goodness, think of that. Yeah. What else makes you mad? Injustice. What else? People not doing what I want them to do. It, It happens to me all of the time. Terrorists. Kids behaving badly. Parents behaving badly. Right? You know, one of the things that irritates me is people who keep talking when I'm interrupting. It's just something about that that just gets me, you know, it just riles me up, right? And we respond all kinds of different ways, don't we, when we're bad and angry. We sometimes, uh, you know, we blow up, right? You saw it up there. But others of us are seethers, right? We just kind of stew in our own juices, and then about a week later, <laughs> then, then you find out that you've been in trouble all of this time, right? Well, here's what we're going to do over the next eight weeks. Six messages, but over the next eight weeks. Is we're going to talk about um, how we are so quick to go to to go to bad and mad. And we're going to try to begin to go to good and mad. Because there really is a difference, isn't there? And, and one of the things we're going to say is that I think... Anger is really a, a, an emotion that's neutral. But it's what we do with anger. And it's us that chooses anger to become good and angry or anger to become mad and angry. So here's the first, th- here's, here's the first thing we're going to say today. And um, it's as it's simple as this. It's, it's, we have a choice in anger to do bad and angry or to do good and angry. And I think unless we understand this, because I I, I think a lot of times we think that other people make us mad. And the reason that I'm fuming when they don't have what I want uh, at the restaurant or when that driver... Um, uh, it doesn't slow down and they come right up on your rear end as you're, as you're pulling out or, or your kids don't do things the way you think they should do I think the reason we, we, we think that it's our kids that did that to us or we think it's that driver that did that to us or we think it's that restaurant that did that to us or we think it's the government that did that to us. And while it provokes a, a, a feeling of anger, we have the choice to be either good and angry, or to become bad and angry. And if we don't understand this, then we're never really going to get a grip on our anger. And and some of you go, well, I don't have an anger problem. Yes, you do. I just want to make that really clear. Every single one of us wrestles with anger. You just display it in different ways. You just feel it in different ways. And now, how can I say that that anger is a choice. Does the Bible back that up? And, and we're going we're gonna to say absolutely yes. And we're going to look at a story in just a couple of minutes, a narrative that shows two people who are both confronted by things that they don't like. And that's kind of at the heart of anger, isn't it? Something happens I don't like. And they're both confronted by things they don't like, and yet they react very, very differently. And then there's some very clear instruction in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says this. He says, in your anger, what does he say? Do not sin. Now that's not an admonition to be angry. That's a statement that when we are confronted with anger, and I think, again, I want to say that I think anger is a neutral emotion. You know, it's something you can't stay away from in life because things happen all the time that we don't like. We we collide into the people and the things all of the time. And and the the, the response then when things don't go our, our way is this feeling or emotion of anger. And it's a real primitive emotion, right? You don't have to think much to get angry, right? In fact, you don't think much when you get bad and angry. You have to think a lot to become good and angry. And and just it's this primal, almost instantaneous anger choice. But 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 what Paul is saying is when we do have angry emotion in our lives when things don't go the way we like them to. He says, don't sin. And so there's a sinful kind of anger and there's a not sinful kind of anger. The sinful kind of anger is this bad and angry, bad and mad. And the kind of anger that has no sin at all is the kind of sin that's righteous, that's good, that causes us to take constructive steps instead of destructive steps. And we talk about destructive steps. When when I'm angry at, uh, at April, not only do I harm her, but I harm myself. So it's destructive to both of us. And it's probably destructive to our kids. And, and it's destructive to you. Then if I come in on Sunday morning and... April and I are in this conflict, and, and we haven't resolved this, this in, on my side, this bad and angry. then it, it has ripple effects, right? It's not, a, it's not a victimless sin, and I don't think there is any victimless sins. So, so we want to just really keep this as we begin. And again, in our series, six messages, eight weeks, we are not going to answer every question you have about anger, but we're going to try some, and we're certainly not going to give you three steps to how to get over anger, because there ain't no three steps, y'all right? That kind of feels good, Matt, coming off the tongue. Yeah, that's good. So let's, uh, uh, Fred, ask you to open your Bibles up, and then I ask you again, or I commanded you again, uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, page 286. And we're going to look at this story, and it's a story of two, two men, two people, who are both confronted with things that they say, I don't like that, but watch how they're and both of them feel angry, but watch how they choose either bad and angry or good and angry. And so here's the question that we're going we're gonna to pose today. And it's a question I hope that kind of covers a lot of things for you. It's, it's this idea of, what do you do when someone throws a spear at you? You know, what do you do when your boss shoots a text to you that's just nasty? What do you do when someone in your family... Um, says something about you? What do you do when drivers dr- don't drive the way that you think they should drive? What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? So we're going to talk. Our story is going to open uh, in 1 Samuel 17 with a, a guy that you may know in the Bible. His name is David. And David later will become king of Israel. But when, when we meet David here in chapter 17, he's a teenager, He's a a young guy, and he's a shepherd boy, and he's the youngest of several brothers. His dad's name is Jesse, and David is this shepherd boy, and he's a guitar player, he's a songwriter, and he's pretty good with a slingshot. Uh, We're going to discover that this morning, right? And he's not only pretty good with a slingshot, but he's pretty good with his hands, not only to play the, the lyre or the guitar, not only to write down music, but he's pretty good with his hands. because. When he was younger, he killed a bear with his bare hands. We, just have, we don't have a description of it. He just tells us that he did that. And he also killed a lion with his bare hands when he's protecting his father's family's sheep. And so, um, th- this David killed one bear. And then, in our story today, we're going to discover that he kills another bear. The giant of Philistine, that bear whose name is, anybody know what his name is? Goliath. He's about nine foot tall, and he is a bear of a man. And he is bringing reproach. He's just saying nasty stuff about God, and about God's people, the Israelites. And, um, and, and, and so uh, David, we're gonna, we'll just pick up our story here. Uh, this guy Goliath is in a valley, the Valley of Elah. And, and he is challenging the armies of God. And nobody can, nobody can uh, come up against him. David's older brothers, they've like wet their pants when they've stood in front of Goliath. Oh my gosh! And all the soldiers, they're just, ah, this is horrible. So this young teenage guitar playing, songwriting, slinger of, of rocks... Comes out against Goliath, and here's what he says against this Philistine bear. Chapter 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come across, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I love this. This day. The Lord, not David, this day the Lord will um, strike you down and will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. In verse 47, All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord rescues or saves. Underline this in your Bible. For the battle is the Lord's. There's a hero in this story, and it's not David. It's the Lord, right? He's the hero of this story and every story. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And so David, the story goes on, he takes that slingshot and he puts a he puts a rock right in the forehead of Goliath, and Goliath is fallen, and his head is chopped off, and Israel has this great victory. And there's a king over Israel who's watching this from from his high stand, as kings often did in that day. And he's watching this, and he's amazed by this young David. And he says, Who is this guy? Who's this kid? This teenage boy? I want him in my cabinet. I want him to be partnering with me. And so they, they go and they get David and they bring him to Saul. And Saul brings him into the West Wing. And he's going to make him the Secretary of Defense. That's a good move, King Saul. And we, we, pick, we continue the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. And David becomes not only comes into the household of Saul, but he becomes best friends with Saul's son, whose name is Jonathan, Right? chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he invites him to come and be part of his cabinet. Jonathan became one in spirit. Jonathan is Saul's son. He became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. He became best of friends. They became buddies. They became like brothers, like blood brothers, Jonathan and David, verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not let him return to his own family. He says, this guy's too valuable. This guy's a superstar. This is is the guy I want on my team. I can't let him go back home. And it was an honor for him to serve alongside the king of Israel. And skip down in chapter 18 to verse 5. Whenever whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And everyone was pleased. The troops, the soldiers, all of the people. And this young teenage boy, you know brilliant uh, military genius he he he, be, he becomes a kind of a folk hero in the land and not only with the with the troops and the officers but verse 6 look at this when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with trembles and lyres. Now you can imagine Saul riding up high. You know, maybe he's carried by by some of his soldiers. He's riding in high. And he looks ahead along the road and along the road at every village he comes to. All of the women have come out. Kind of likes that, right? They kind of like me. Huh, this is interesting, isn't it? He says, look at all these women. They're out there to me. And they're, listen, they're singing songs. I bet the songs they're singing are about me. About how great I am. About how victorious I been. About how my kingdom will go on and on and on. Sometimes he would go into a town and say, when we go through once, circle back again. Kind of like an encore. We went to a concert the other night. And it was like this obligatory encore. It was like, it was a staged encore, Right? Because he came back, and and I wanted him to come back, but it's like, dude, don't go off the stage. Just stay there and play those two extra extra songs that you're doing. That's okay. And and Saul's like, oh man, I want to hear this more. You guys, stop. Keep going. Stop. Keep going. Right. So so he's listening for these voices, and he gets closer, and finally he's able to make out their singing. And as they danced, verse seven, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands. Oh. <laughs> It hasn't really been thousands, but say it again. Say it's an awesome, Saul has killed an awesome number of the enemy. Sing it again. Sing that chorus again. And they sang and they continued to sing. But the second stanza didn't hmm, quite please King Saul like the first one did, did it? Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, you're right. Thank you. You can touch me. And David, his tens of thousands. Oh my goodness. David is becoming the rock star of Israel, right? And Saul is in danger of being demoted in the eyes of the people. And we know what Saul's response response was Each of, every one of us would have some emotional response to this right those of us we're used to being right and we're used to being listened to and we want our ways to be listened to and when someone contradicts that we feel this anger inside of us now the choice is what we do with that anger and look what Saul look what Saul feels we don't have to guess what he feels the Bible tells us verse 8 Saul was very angry He wasn't just angry. He was smoking hot mad. The Hebrew word, I love this word for anger that the Hebrews have. The Hebrews are a very visceral people. They're a very emotive people. They're not precise in their language. They're colorful in their language. They use their hands as they speak oftentimes. And this word for anger, means it's the snorting of a horse's nostrils. You know, when when that horse is mad and begins to rear up and his his nostrils open up, that's the word for anger. And Saul was not just mildly angry. He wasn't just annoyed. He wasn't just irritated. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. It it displeased him greatly. And, And I think this is what the essence of anger is. This is not the definition of anger. But I've tried to kind of sort out and figure out, what would be, for, for our first message here, what would be the essence of anger? And here's what I think it is for us today. It's displeasure about something I care about. And, and, and that seems to be what's happening to Saul here, isn't it? In fact, the Bible tells us. This where I got some of the definition from. This refrain displeased him greatly. Now, help me out here. What displeased... Saul about this second stanza of the song. What are some of the things that displeased him? Say that again. Greater number. Yes, a greater number. Yeah. Thousand versus tens of thousands, right? What else? But look there in the scriptures. What else else displeased him about this song? It It wasn't about him. Yeah. Wasn't about him. What else? There, I think that's the essence of it is, and we're going to talk more about this in message three together. I think what's underneath this essence, this displeasure is my kingdom come, my will be done. And I think that's at the heart or close to the heart of, of our bad anger is that anytime anyone bumps up and disrupts our kingdom and our wishes and our thinking of the way things should be and ought to be, that it creates this displeasure inside of us. April said, um, what was it? It's not about me. And, and, And part of Saul's kingdom was he wanted everything to be about me. That's what all of us want in our kingdom. We want us to. We want to be the king in our kingdom, and when when anything bumps up against it, someone doesn't use their turn signal. When someone drives too slow, doesn't that irritate you sometimes? What's that about? That's about my kingdom. You're in my kingdom. Isn't it interesting that anyone that drives slow in front of us is an idiot, and anyone who drives fast is a maniac. It's kind of like, you know, we just know the exact right speed to drive at all, the time, at all times, right? And so it's this bumping up of this kingdom. And, and, and it brought him displeasure because it was something that he cared about. See, if you don't care about it, it's not going to bring you any displeasure. Um, I care about if my insurance, insurance premium, health insurance premiums go up. I care about that, and I have displeasure about that. And it, and it causes some anger inside of me, right? There's this emotion of anger. Now, I have a choice what to do with that. And the reason I, I'm dis, I get displeasure about my medical um, uh, uh, payments going up is because, because it affects me directly. Now, if someone's health insurance deductibles or premiums go up in Kansas or in South Carolina or in Hawaii, I don't get very angry about that, do I? Because that, that's, not a, that's not my matter. So it has to be something that matters to you. Now, think about um, think about what what Jonna had shared about what was the, the young lady's name who came to live with you like the first week you were there? Yes, this young lady that that, that uh, lived with Jonna and Matt like the first week she was there and and we've heard this that story before, and it's so powerful and I was thinking as she shared that story again, that makes me Displeased that no one had ever told that girl about Jesus Christ before, that causes some displeasure to me and and it should it should be something I care about now if it doesn 't cause displeasure to me that there's, there, there 's a young woman in Kazakhstan who had never heard the story of Jesus before i don 't think i 'm understanding my Bible right because Jesus wants his name to be known. Just in North America? He wants it to be known among every people group on the planet. And that should make me angry. That should make me good and angry, right? And it made Matt and Jana good and angry. And so they, have, they take their family to go to Kazakhstan to live among these people who have never heard the gospel before. See, that's the constructiveness of when we feel displeasure about something that we care about, that it can cause us to do, do something that's constructive rather than something that's destructive. And you know, I, I just think of that, and I, I think about... Well, why, why, why does anyone need to go to Kazakhstan? Why does anyone need to go to Jordan and learn a, a whole new language? What if, what if every single person who's a Christian in the world today shared Christ with every single one of their friends, and every single one of their friends came to know Christ? Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be great. And then every one of their friends who came to know Christ, shared Christ with all of their friends that they know, and all of those people came to know Christ, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I, I would be all over that. That would only leave a third of the world's population that would never, ever hear about Jesus Christ. we got to go there, right? We've can't. we got to tell our friends. You can tell every international student at every university in the United States about Jesus and pray they come to know Jesus, and they can tell everyone they know It would leave about 2 billion people on the planet who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. That ought to make you angry. It ought to make you good and angry. You have this this displeasure about that. And Paseo Del Rey is all about that, that righteous anger because we don't want to have anyone say, why didn't someone tell me about the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ? And so here is Saul and He's faced with this choice, this this displeasure about something he cares about, about his his kingdom. So how is he going to respond? Well, verse verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. He says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from then on, from then on, from that time on, David said, I'm keeping my eye on you. I'm going to be watching you. And in fact, not only is he going to be watching David, but he's going to be taking aim at David. And uh, look, down at verse, look, look at verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul, He was prophesying in his house when David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Now, what's that evil spirit from the Lord about? I'm not really sure. I think what it means, and we see this in Scripture several times, is sometimes when people are headed in a direction, the Lord gives them over to that. We see it in Romans one, we see it in, in, in the story of the Pharaoh, that someone who has already dis- decided to go in a certain direction, the Lord gives them over to that. And that may be, I'm not sure, what is happening in he- here. And we already saw that David was already excuse me, Saul was already very angry in verse nine. Perhaps the Lord just gave him over to his anger. So he was in his house one day. David is playing the lyre, verse 10, as he usually did. Saul had this spear in his hand, and he hurled it at David and saying, I'll pin David to the wall. Now, here, here's David getting, getting spears thrown at him, right? And, and you know this must have caused David some displeasure, right? So what was David displeased about? What, what was it that David was displeased about? What was he caring about? Losing his life. That's pretty important, right? He's he's thinking, he's thinking, oh my goodness. So what does he do when Saul throws these spears at him? What's the text tell us that he did? He ducked. You know, that's not a bad strategy when people are angry. That's not a bad... Sp- strategy when people are throwing spears at us. One of the words of counsel that I give to people a lot of times is when they're in a conflict situation, sometimes the best thing to do is to take your sail out of their wind. You know, when someone's pugnacious and they're, and they're kind of punching, kind of punching at you, one of the best things to do is just duck. Because people get tired of just swinging in the wind after a while. Some people don't. Some people are conflict addicted, right? And they just, they don't care if anyone gets hit or not. They just want to be swinging at everybody that they, anything they can swing about. But a lot of times ducking is the best strategy. Eluding is the best strategy. taking your sail out of their wind. They're going to get tired of blowing, right? Blowing that wind in your direction, and sometimes that's, sometimes not always. that's the very best thing that you can do. So, so here's David, and he is feeling displeased about something he cares about his life. He's feeling angry. The emotion is there, right? Now, he has a choice what to do with that emotion. Just like Saul had a choice. Saul could, Saul could have chosen good anger when he felt that anger about the, song, the singers. Or he could have chosen bad anger. He chose bad anger, didn't he? Really nasty bad anger. And over the next couple of chapters, he's throwing spears at everyone. He throws spears at his son. He throws more spears at David. He, he chases David all over the country, trying to kill David. He chooses bad anger. What is is David going to choose? What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Well, everyone knows the answer to that. Is you pick it up. You sharpen the point. You add some weight to it. You add some girth to it. You add some length to it. And then you throw it back harder than it came at you. That's, That's simple, isn't it? That 's what we do so naturally that's that 's what we do, and, and we do it all kinds of different ways. Some of us we blow up and shout and yell and stomp and storm, and some of us are just so quiet and seething in our anger aren 't we Some of us are some of us roll our eyes, some of us are become sarcastic, some of us become cynical some of us try to stuff the anger down and pretend that it's not there and then discover it affecting us in all kinds of different ways. But D- what does David choose to do? David chooses not to throw the spear back. And Saul keeps throwing spears. And uh, go to chapter 24, a couple of chapters. You'll want to read these chapters this afternoon if you get a chance because they're very, very interesting. But we come to now to chapter 24 and David is on the run Saul and his army are are coming back from a victory. And in chapter 24, verse 1, it says that after after Saul returned for pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi, the place of the goats. Some of you that have gone to Israel with us, we go to this place... It's the valley of the goats, the place of the goats. And all around this, all around this um, um, the ravine there, or this canyon there are all of these caves up in the hillsides. And um, if you go to Israel with us and you're interested in knowing which cave David was actually in, for an extra $15, we're able to show you and locate that one. We're the only group that knows uh, where David was in there. Verse 2. So Saul took 3,000 able men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So he's got, David's on the run. Saul doesn't just go by himself. How many people does he take, soldiers does he take with him? 3,000. Man, he's got more spears and more swords, and he's ready to annihilate um, this, this David who has threatened his little kingdom. Verse 3. So Saul came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. Again, we'll show you that cave if you're interested. A cave was there, and Saul went in to, as the Hebrew says, relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the providence of God, right? There's a lot of caves to pick from. And David and his men are way back in the back of one of the caves. And that's the cave that, Dave, that Saul picks to go in and use the bathroom in. And so Saul is in there and he's squatted down. And um, David and his men see him. And his men say to David, um, look, look at verse, um, uh, verse 4. The men said to David, 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 this is the very moment, the day. The Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Well, just as a side note, those men took that verse way out of context. The Lord never made this promise to David. But that doesn't matter when you're trying to prove something from the Bible, does it? It's, it just, you just grab verses out of context. And so here's what David did. David, he crept up Saul is squatted down there, and he creeps up to him, and he takes his knife, and, 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 and Saul's robe is hanging down behind him, and he takes the knife. I don't know, I don't know how he did this. Maybe, maybe we should have the drama group from Kazakhstan show us this story next time, you know? And, and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe without Saul knowing about it. And then he crawls back with this piece of, 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 of the corner of the robe, and he crawls back to his men. And then the Spirit of God came over David, and he convinced David, David, you've, you've done a mean, you've done the wrong thing here. You, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be disgracing him like this. And so, so David, David goes, when, and when Saul leaves the cave, David goes out to the front of the cave. And if I were David, do you know what I would have done? King Saul, look what I have! And the next time you do this, I'm going to murder you. But that's not at all what David did, is it? Verse, uh, verse 8, Then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul. And he said, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen to these men who say that I'm out to get you? I'm not. Verse 10. This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some of my men urged me to kill you, but I didn't. I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand upon you. See my father. Verse 11. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. You see, uh, see that there is nothing in my hand to indicate I'm guilty of any wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. But you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. And and I, I, I think if David would have struck Saul down in that cave, many people would have cheered for him. Many people say, that's exactly what you need to do. Your anger, your bad anger was justified. You had to set the record straight, David. You had to bring fairness into the situation, David. You had to show him who was boss and how this needed to stop now. And you should have killed him right then and there. But David chose not to throw a spear back. Verse 12, May the Lord judge between you and me. He's going to leave it in the Lord's hands. And may the Lord Lord avenge you of the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. For David says, as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. I am not an evildoer, and so my hand will not touch you. And here's our third point for this morning, is don't Saul, Saul. Don't become Saul to the Sauls in your life. It's the easiest thing to do, is to pick up the sword and sharpen it and heave it back and nail them. Don't Saul, Saul. When we feel that displeasure, when we feel that displeasure about something that we care about, choose, it's your choice, choose the way of Jesus. Who Peter tells us that when people hurled at him, When people spat at Him, when people um, threw insults at Him, when people hung Him on the cross, He did not return in throwing spears back at them. But instead, He entrusted Himself fully to the One who judges justly. Jesus has walked this path. You you want to talk about injustice? Jesus allowed it to happen to Him. You want to talk about fairness? Fairness? Jesus' unfairness, Jesus allowed it to happen to him. You want to talk about a kingdom being knocked off of its course? It happened to Jesus. And instead of throwing the spears back, he entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. And that's what you and I can do. This is not a self-help sermon. You can't do this. You can't make this decision on your own. It's only Jesus living inside of you who empowers you, who has already walked this road with anger that became good and angry instead of bad and angry to rescue us from our lostness and our sin. And Jesus lives inside of you to give you new power. There's a battle inside of you, though. Jesus is living inside of you, but Saul's living inside of you, too your old man, your old woman, your old self. And that Saul that's inside of every newborn baby and every teenager and every parent and every midlifer, that Saul that's inside of your president, inside of your pastor, inside of every single one of us, that Saul wants to do battle with Jesus who's inside of, and Jesus wants to crucify that old Saul in you and me. And one of the ways that he chooses to crucify the old Saul in you and in me is by allowing other Sauls in our lives. Those people and those situations that irritate us and cause us to want to respond to anger, God uses those to file off the old Saul and to chop off the Saul in our lives. We all have Saul in our bloodstreams. But what, is, what does Saul say here? Or what does David say in verse 13? As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. I will not, in the power of Jesus, become Saul to the Sauls in my life. And the only way you can do that is by the living with the only hero in the story, Jesus. Who chose not to be Saul to the Saul's who hung him on that cross. That's our hope. Not in not our own ability. Not our only uh, strong intentions to not allow bad anger to come into our lives. But in Jesus who's walked this path before us.